This episode is brought to you by Triggered 22 LLC, a veteran-owned apparel company. By purchasing a t-shirt, hat, or hoodie from Triggered 22, you're not only supporting a small business, but you're bringing awareness to veteran PTSD and suicide. Please help save the lives of those who fought for our freedoms. Visit Triggered22.com now and place your order. Let's help those suffering from invisible wounds. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. Hi, I'm Austin Sullivan. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Today, we have Rebecca Gundrum, retired Navy veteran who started her own company, Triggered 22. Rebecca, welcome to episode 33 of the American Grown Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. I'm glad you can make it in, especially with June being... PTSD month, and for those that don't know, post-traumatic stress disorder. That's right. So some of the topics that we want to kind of hit on, 20 years in the Navy. That's right, 20 That's years. phenomenal. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank Seriously. you. You've been diagnosed with PTSD? Four years ago. Four years ago, okay. We want to talk about that, you know, educate the listeners, spread the word, really. And then also talk about starting your own company, Trigger 22, and you actually brought your service dog Sorry. trigger yep awesome perfect okay and chuck's here as well yep, he's hey chuck he's back there <laughs> perfect what was your early childhood like where'd you grow up yep. um what what did you do in high school any sports things like that sure uh grew up here right here in lancaster county i went to effort high school i did cheerleading for about i think four years so pretty much my whole high school um career if you would um, I had an awesome childhood, awesome life. I have five other brothers and sisters, so total of six of us, and um, just really close-knit and supportive. And in fact, from my childhood till this point, they are the reason that I was able to successfully get to this point, because even when I was gone for 20 years, they were super supportive of me. So yeah. my parents still live in the house I grew up in, um, so Very it's kind cool. of nice just, you know, coming home is coming home for me. So every time I'd come home on leave or whatever, it was back to my childhood, back to my roots, you know. So this is my home. And to have that core base to count on, yep. it had to be huge while you're overseas, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. While I was overseas and even when I was, because most of the time I was just stateside, but just having that kind of support and knowing, you know, you can always come home was super helpful. That's nice to have that. So. Why did you join the Navy? What what motivated you to sign up? Despite me having an awesome childhood and, you know, great family and stuff, there was always something more for me. I knew that. And I didn't know exactly what that was. I shocked probably, you know, people, but I was going to art school. I do art. That's oh. what I was going to do. I do paintings. In fact, I sell them now. So that was my road. And then... Um, I got a call from the recruiter, and I told my mom, I said, will you please go with me to the recruiting office? She said, as long as you don't sign paperwork. I said, I promise. So that was a Friday afternoon. Monday, I signed up. I just knew there was something out there for me. I wanted to see something bigger than myself and do something more. Now, my dad is a veteran as well. Okay. Um, Now, an Army veteran, so we won't hold that against you, I was going to ask what branch. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, shout out to dad. That's awesome. Thank you for your service, sir. And so kind of had that in my blood, you know, I think. So... 
Um, when I went into the service, it was just not not necessarily Navy was I ambitious about, but just doing something and serving my country was was a big deal to me. That was going to be my, my next question. Why the Navy? Because they don't run as much. <laughs> That's a good I answer. I mean, I'm not lying. Like, yeah. I'm not a super big runner, and the other ones were three milers, you know, the Army, the Marine Corps and stuff. Um, so I, I went to the Navy. That was, that was the recruiter that called me to. In fact, while I was um, in that stage, they have a... Um, of going into boot camp, they have a thing called the delayed entry program. So that's when they're getting ready to start your boot camp class and stuff. So you can go with your recruiter, meet up and stuff. Well, during that time, um, 9-11 happened. I went into the Navy in October okay. the next month. So yeah. my mom's like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I said, this is a perfect idea. You know, yeah. I'm going. That was the time. Yeah. It was. And, and would you say that propelled you to do so? You know, I mean, you're already signed up. But right. What do you think? It didn't scare me. It didn't scare you? Not yeah. at all. Because wow. it scared my mom, and I love you, Mom. I know she, you know, didn't want us gone. All of my siblings live here, local. I mean, we grew up together and stuff, and I was right. gone. I was the one who was gone. So I know it was difficult, but there's just something bigger and a calling, you know, and I kind of felt like that my whole life. Definitely shout out to moms out there. Moms rule the world. Like That's they, right. <laughs> they, you know. All right, so you sign up. You know, you go to the recruiter's office. Did they try to... Did they try to talk you out of it? I don't see. I know. I, I'm. I'm not a service member. Yeah. You know. I have friends. I have a buddy that was a marine, and he shared some stories with me and things like that. Yeah. But what? Like, can you walk us through that process? You go in. Yeah. How does it work? You know, especially I think all branches are looking for new recruits. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, the recruiter's job is to get us in, right? It's a. It's a sales pitch if you would you know and and i get it that's what they do and they show you all these wonderful pictures and this thing it's nothing like what they say isn't it (laughs) really i mean i'm sure it is for some but i my my whole um experience was was not the the typical so so when you say that do they kind of overhype it or i i would say so i would say um yes and no i mean i definitely hit all the benefits that the military provide in medical i free education I, i took advantage of that i got my degree while i was in um, but they definitely do. That's that's their job to get you in. And then once you're in the door and you're shipped off to boot camp, you know, the process begins. But they si- assign you to your first duty station or you go to your schooling, you know, and then yeah. from there, it's I was doing four and out. Um, okay. That was my goal. I had no intention of doing 20 and retiring. That wasn't my, I yeah. just wanted to do something, right? But I never been on a ship. Wait, so you're, you're originally going in with the mindset of four and out. Four and out. But you're in for twenty. <laughs> I did. Okay, so we're gonna have to get into some of that. Yeah. 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 It's well, it's it's um just like anything. I think people, you know, your job and you get that's what next thing you know, thirty years have gone by, Time right? Flies. Exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, kids and stuff, you have these um, like I said, the benefits of what it was and I like the structure. I like okay. structure and I love serving my country. I got to do all kinds of cool things, you know, yeah. really diverse career. So yeah, it worked for me. So I knew I was 20 and done, though. I wasn't going a day over that. That, that <laughs> yeah. was it for me. That was a hard yeah. stop. 20 yeah. and done. That's right. So now, um, for the listeners, you know, the daily routine, what's that kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, when you first get to boot camp? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's different depending on who you are and what, what you know, your end state is. For boot camp, it's pretty much the same, you know, it's um, uh, and now it's different. I guess it's a lot easier. But, um, it, you know, every day, all day, working out, we go to school and do, you know, classes and things like that. Um, a lot of marching, a lot of working out. And then um, the day to day, once you're past all that, to like your first duty station definitely depends on what your job in the Navy is and what you're doing, right? Because the ship's completely different than shore duty. So most of my career was spent on shore duty in the States. I was stationed the East Coast, West Coast, and in between, all over. But I never did overseas until my Iraq tour. 
So nine to five, I would say, um, with the exception of in-betweens, there were sometimes, uh, you know, it was longer days. But um, my career was pretty much a pretty structured and, you know, normal get up in the morning, leaving, you know, yeah. nine to five job. It just depends where you are and what you're doing. Understood. And boot camp, is that to kind of weed out the ones that aren't going to make it? Sure. Break you down to build you back up. That's yeah. 100% what it is. And teamwork and to teach you the values and things like that. Um, and absolutely, I'm, I'm sure they do weed out a lot of people because not everyone makes it through. Yeah, I would say for me, boot camp was super easy. I know a lot of people go into that and stuff. At first, you get off the bus and they're yelling and you're like, okay, I made a mistake. I'm ready to go home. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. But uh, then once the structure and the schedule and you get on that, you know, drumbeat of what the days are, it's super simple for me. You know, I like structure and like the learning things and it went really fast. And you um, could excel with that structure. I did. Yep. Let's talk about your first deployment. I know you mentioned mm-hmm. Iraq and can you share with us some of those stories and yeah. what you experienced over there? Yes, I can. So for me... Unlike a lot of veterans that deploy overseas, a lot of our Marines and Army, um, you know, this is what they do all the time. I'm a Navy yeoman female. It's not what we do all the time, right? So it was very different. But what the Navy started doing was called IAs, which is individual augmentees. What we were doing was we were subbing in for the Army or the Marines um, so they could have a break from a deployment or, you know, because they were going like every six months. Wow. So it was not the norm. Um, but yeah. I got on the short list in 2011 of personnel that could go. And I was like, I'm ready. Like, let's do this. My brother was in the Marine Corps. Um, and I know he did a deployment to Fallujah prior to that. So it was really important to me to give back and do my part. So, yeah, I remember volunteering and I got the orders and I was like, crap, this is real. <laughs> it's like going to happen, you know. So I deployed with the Army. I was in the Navy, but I wore an Army uniform. So I went to Fort Jackson for my training, um, shot a lot of guns, which was really awesome, made a lot of MREs, which I really enjoyed too. Um, And it was just a really cool experience for me. Um, And then from there, um, I deployed over. Um, You... I went as an individual. Typically, they go in units, right? So it was a whole unit. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. Correct. Okay. So yeah. there was a bunch of us, but most of them were going to Afghanistan. I think there was just a few left of us going to Iraq. So yeah, I went by myself. I mean, they obviously flew me over there, but landed in Balad is where I went first. And um, I was supposed to ultimately, excuse me, land in Baghdad. I was supposed to be in Balad. So I was in Baghdad in the base in the FOB. And I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. How do I get up there? Because my relief was waiting for me. So it took yeah. a couple days, and I was kind of just wandering the streets of the base down there. <laughs> but they got me up there ultimately. And um, when you fly over there, you wear all your what they call battle rattle, right? So you have okay. your helmet, your your vest on, like and your all full those kit, things. exactly. Something like that. Okay. Yep. And that's what you find the C-130s and everything like that. So this warrant officer comes to pick me up and says, we got your, you got your plane. And I had all my battle rattle on ready to go four sea bags worth of stuff. And he's like, you don't need all your, your gear on. I said, okay. I was like, that's kind of strange. Yeah, that seems real strange. He goes, well, you must be pretty important because you're flying in the four star general's plane. And I'm like, I'm not important. I assure you. And I have no idea how I got here. So I got to take the four star general Austin's plane up there. So what was that? (laughs) What's that like? It was just a personal jet. Okay, but is a oh, so it's just like a nice, correct kind of comfier jet. Where I'm picturing like you know normally in in the movies, right? You know uh, the soldiers are sitting in the back that's and right. the door goes up that's and down, right. and if this. you jump out, you got to have a parachute, you know, because right. you're going down. And so, that's what I went in for other times. This just happened to be one of those things, you know. Wow. So it's like really crazy, but um, finally made it up to Balad, you know. And I, I'll tell you, um, 
that first night when I checked in, you, you check in and you go to what they call choose, which is like your own little housing unit. It's like a trailer in essence, and okay. they're divided into rooms. And I was by myself. So I that night we were mortared. It was called Mortaritaville. We got mortared by them all the time. What? And I remember just thinking, like, I'm going to die, right? I'm never going to go home because it was terrifying, and I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, it was the first night up. So that started it. Um, and then as time went on, got easier you know it was day to day you know typical 15 20 hour days is what we did but that's all we did yeah. it was mission driven so okay. i thoroughly enjoyed my time in mission and, and doing those things i got to see a lot of cool things went in a black hawk for the first time and mission with that and um shot off a drone over over the country and you know so seeing and doing a lot of things but i didn't know the repercussion of all of those things and things you see and deal with, yeah. um, what it was going to lead to, you know, eight years later. Let's back up a little bit because i got a couple questions. Mm-hmm. How did the Army soldiers, how did they take to a Navy person coming yeah. into their ranks? Right. Was that like a big deal or not really? Not really. I, I personally, I didn't really deal with uh, much of them. My um, job over there was working with the linguists and Terps. Okay. So we dealt with the Terps that went out on missions with our SEALs and everyone, you know, to the linguist support for our, for our guys out there on missions. So it was only myself, another Navy officer. I had one Army person that worked for me, one Air Force, and one civilian. Okay. So that was my genre. Right. So that was your group. Yeah. That's right. And what they yeah. sent me over there for was to be the non-commissioned officer in charge. So an E-6, in essence, in the Navy to be second in command of the office, the, the senior officer over there. So didn't deal much with that. Um, didn't have any issues fitting in. I mean, no yeah. problems and stuff. I got saluted a lot because the Navy's rank structure is different than the Army, okay. like what we wear. So you're so, a higher rank? Well, because we wear um, a crow as part of our um, rank structure. So I was an E6. Well, in the Army, it looked like a colonel. So I would get saluted oh. all the time and stuff. I'm like, I assure you, I'm not that old <laughs> and I'm not that high rank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. but so that was an experience, right? Because they yeah. saw my uniform. I wore their Army uniform, you know, and so to them, that was foreign. But that was kind of funny. Interesting. Now you get to your location. You called it mortar Rigaville. Oh, Mortaritaville. Mortar. I have a, a t-shirt that says it. Um, yeah, just because we were mortared almost every single day. Any listener and, out there who's been stationed over there in, yeah. in Balad would know. Just typical, yeah, the Taliban or the people outside the wire. And some of them hid inside the wire. I mean, we've had some close calls while I was there. So inside the wire is literally inside the compound That's where correct. you're, where you're stationed. That's right. Wow. Yep. And I don't want to, but okay. for the listeners... What is that like? Like you see on the movies and yep. Michael Bay films, right? Yep. Huge explosions. Yeah. Is it anything like that? Yeah. You know, in my head, when I first was in my shoe sitting there and we got hit because we have Sea Whiz or Sea Rams go off. So we have these big guns that try to shoot those mortars down. Right? Like a so defensive system. Fi- exactly. Okay. So you hear that firing, you hear these things on the ground. And honestly, all I could think of were the world's with Tom Cruise, that movie in my okay, head, yes. right? It's yeah. not, obviously not yeah. like that, but that's what it sounded like. It was just chaos, right? So, um, not supposed to open your doors or look out or anything like that. You're supposed to just get down and cover your head, you know. But I had to see, like, what is going on. Yeah. But, like, in, in my head, that's what still plays. If, if I think back to that time, you know, it was just chaos. And then you hear the jets flying because they do missions, you know, 24 hours. Our jets over there. So you just hear them going off. So it's a lot of chaos. Yeah. And you said it got easier. So what mm-hmm. what about that got easier? I think it just became, it's just numbing, right? I mean, three months yeah. in, that's just, that's your world. And and. To be very to the point, I you, you I accepted my own mortality. Like 
I'm here for a purpose. Like, this is what I'm doing. And you just kind of like, because there was times when people would wake up and um, the shoes uh, where we stayed in the house, they okay. were completely yeah. tore apart. You know, they didn't even know. I mean, they're just wow. made of metal or, you know, different things. And so you accept it and you do your, you know, you, you do what you're there for and you just keep going and grinding and it yeah. just becomes, I don't, I don't, that's the only way I can describe as numbing. You get so involved in your routine and what you're there for and, you know, it becomes a way of life. It's, I was going to say, it almost sounds like second nature, yeah. even though it's so far out there for a civilian or average person to, to hear or believe, but sure. yet you're living it. It's, it's day in and day right. out. So now is there a mission that really stood out to you? You know, you said you got to go on a, uh, a helicopter mm -hmm. you know yeah like i i only went outside the wire that one time my mission was inside the compound for the most part um but i did want to experience what i was there for you know and i wanted to be so i actually got to take one of the uh mission down from bala or yeah bala down south um and we just flew a piece that had to go down there for one of the um drones what i found was crazy about that is just <laughs> i was told to not sit in certain seats because some of the personnel that go on those with you do not deodorize or shower or anything. So if that wind hits, it goes no. right in your face. The really? Time. So they warned me. <laughs> so I got a good seat on that. But just like, and the view from there was crazy. Like, I, I mean, just seeing like what a different place like that was. And I also, while I was over there, when I flew back, I didn't come back on the Black Hawk. I came back on a different type of aircraft, but it flew so low. They didn't have, it wasn't pressurized, right? So they had to fly low. And I remember sitting there on the ground and I saw these things lighting up uh, out the windows. And I, my, I remember my heart sank because I'm like, this is, cannot be good. Well, here it was our guys shooting flares to make sure there's no one shooting up at us. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so that is good. Okay. Yeah, it was good. yeah, that's real good. <laughs> it was yeah, good for, yeah. But then the, the, the one gentleman or the one um, sorry army guy who was over there with us, he um, or in the plane, he said, do you want to see with the night vision goggles? I said, 100%. I want to see. Okay, so you yeah. got to put those on and look over. You know, it was really cool to see that and just the experience of that because I normally wouldn't have got to do any of that as a Navy yeoman, you know. Right. And while you're over there, you had an interpreter, you said? Um, or you were a part of, like, a group with an interpreter? So we were the ones who managed all the Terps over there, meaning, like, we managed them, um, like, you need to be here to go on the mission with these, these you know, this um, okay. mission or these. So we didn't physically see them. We just were managing their billets, if you would, or where they would go. So there was different types of interpreters over there. Some of them were just local nationals that walked right in the FOB to help us. And then others were had top secret clearances, and they were to help, wow. you know, the higher ranking or different types of. So missions. pretty crucial. It I was mean, part because they have to be able to communicate to the locals there, you know, to 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 say what's going on, and That's then right. relay it to the troops. That's right. And and try to keep everything smooth. Right. And yeah. honestly, I didn't know. I mean, when you're when you do something, just like anybody would, you just do your best, you know, and you're doing. I didn't realize what the impact of you know everybody's position over there and how big of a deal it really is, you know. But yeah. every piece matters because it's all part of a bigger, you know, puzzle. Exactly. That's right. You took the words out of my yeah. mouth. I was gonna say it's like a big puzzle. Right. So your twenty years comes up, you're done. What was it like then transitioning to civilian life? Easy. <laughs> easy i okay. was done i i mean i'm i miss pieces of what what that all that was but if i'm being transparent my last duty station was not good um not typical for what a retired um retirement should be it, it just um was very chaotic and um my commanding officer was relieved of her post and stuff so it was just it was it was time to go very survival mode my last year However, two years prior to that, is already I was already prepping for what I was doing when I got out, right? And everybody asks you, what are you doing when you get out? You're getting a government job, you know, the typical, 
no, I'm not. <laughs> because I was diagnosed with my PTSD while I was still in the service. How did you discover you had PTSD? Yeah, yeah so I, I didn't know when I came back I was different. Um, I honestly didn't. But I, as soon as I came home and started going back into normal life... I started having symptoms that I didn't realize until my oldest daughter pointed them out. Like um, in crowds, I would get very, my hands would sweat or I'd be like, I'm, I'm going to pass out or my heart would thump really bad Whoa. or anxiety yeah. and stuff. And um, crowds would do that to me. Loud noises, different things would just peak this, this like whatever. And I guess I got this look. She would say a look. Finally, she said, Mom, you have to go get help. Now, who wants to go talk about any of this stuff, right? right? So the military offers you help, quote, unquote. When you get out, you have to go through, you know, these questionnaires and stuff. But they're just generic questionnaires. You know, they're not really delving into what our issues are because everybody's different and yeah. how they handle trauma and stress. So I was not on a base. So in order to go get help or go see a therapist or a mental health doctor, I had to go out in town. It's really difficult to get what you need. <laughs> and the stigma of the service is tough, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. trained to be tough and mission oriented. And I was a chief, so an E7 at the time. And there's always threats. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my clearance if I go get help? Or they put me on medicine? Or, oh my gosh, what's wrong? You know, if they say something's wrong with me, what are people going to think, right? We all yeah. go through that. Yeah. But I went, I went and got help. And um, I went two years every Monday for two years straight to the same doc. And it it's, started opening up the doors of, you know, talking about this. My diagnosis came within two months. Yeah. Um, it was pretty cut and dry with what I was. Pretty clear. It was. And what was, what's your, if you don't mind sharing nope. your oldest daughter's mm -hmm. name? Taylor. Taylor. Yep. Well, shout out to Taylor because, you know, it, it does take a lot, I think, for anybody to admit, hey, I need, I need help. Yeah. Whether it's whatever it is, alcohol, right. drugs, whatever it is. Hey, I need, I need to do something about this. That's right. And yeah. she, um, she had to grow up way too quick because yeah. of her mom and I, I lived with Gil for a while for that but um she definitely you know is a very strong young lady and my you know and really when she said that she's very direct and you know and like I said I was reluctant I don't need help I got this but I, I tried to get this I tried to control it if you would and I'm sure okay. others who have my situation understand what I'm saying I couldn't I literally yeah. couldn't and if people look at me or that my demeanor, or my family or Rebecca's tough, you know, she got in stuff. I didn't have it. I did not have it. So you had a facade. Like, uh, you, like exactly. I, I feel like many would, you know, you feel like you can control it and, and, and everything. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Do you remember, was there a, a certain event, you know, looking back over the 20 years of service mm -hmm. that you recall that was it the, the, the mortar strikes in the middle of the night, you know, is it, did all like, what did they, did they even say like, Hey, this might've been the moment it happened or Right. You just think it's throughout the, your whole career in the yeah. service. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think it was definitely, it was definitely my 2011 deployment because a lot of the things I, I, looking back, I wasn't that person before. And I started just living with it or being this new version of myself because I remember coming back and saying, when will I be normal again? <laughs> you come back and you just have to start your life again. Well, how do you do that? You know, it's really hard when you're in this, you know, structure, exactly. you know, and yeah. Yeah. And so, um, Things are second nature that normally right. aren't second nature. Well, and yeah. how do you like watch your six for 24 hours a day and all of a sudden now you don't watch your six or you're not, you know, paranoid or your head's on a swivel? How do you stop those thoughts? Right. I don't know. I couldn't. Um, it's your safe. That's, that's your safety. So mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of people come back and, you know, you get back into it and you survive and you keep going and stuff. But then that's when the substance abuse and the other things come in because you need something to cope. I can't sleep. I have nightmares, you know, or this got me or this triggered me and I had an episode. I mean, when I have an episode, I'm out for 24 or 48 hours, meaning mentally just drain like I ran yeah. a marathon. But wow. there wasn't one pinpoint thing okay. um, that they, they um, said that was the cause of it. Um, I think it was a culmination of the entire deployment. Yeah. Understood. And now some of your triggers you had mentioned, I know with 4th of July coming up for a lot of service members, it's fireworks and things like that. Yes. Do you have hate it (laughs) so no i i don't i i struggle with it i i do but my my youngest two years ago wanted to go to fireworks and one thing i refuse to do is let ptsd rule who i am like i accept it for being a part of me now but i'm not gonna let that stop me from doing things now i do go into things knowing this is gonna suck but how do I get through it, right? So we went to the fireworks. I always make sure I have another adult with me. <laughs> yeah. But my mom was with me at the time and my sister and my little one. And we're walking up to go to the fireworks and, and they're popping off, you know, just before the, the show starts. And I completely lost my stuff. I, I cried to almost hyperventilate because it, it's really a struggle for me. And my sister's like, what do we do? Do I go back? No, you keep going. Just keep going. Just lead me and I'll be yeah. okay, right? My mom's seen me have episodes before, so she was a little familiar once we got there and I sat and could see my surroundings and that I'm safe, we're good. I can enjoy it. Yeah, it's but like uh, going through the storm. You know, there's going to be a sunny day. You that's know, right. you just have to keep going. That's right. And that's the biggest piece of what I'm trying to do and, and get out there to everybody is it, it sucks sometimes. And I go through these terrible times and these really low points, but, you know, just keep going. You know, it's yeah. not easy. And I don't try to make it as, as, as though it is. I mean, I definitely have my struggles. Through the PTSD being diagnosed, how did Trigger, who's here today, how did he come into your life? Yeah, so this yeah. is a really cool story. So started going through my mental health um, about a year in, and I knew I didn't, I personally didn't want to do the medication route. I was trying to fight that without Right, because you said it leads could lead to addiction. Right, right, yeah, anything, could. correct. And, yeah. and like I just for, personally just wasn't for me. So I saw another reservist who had a dog invested, and I said, where did you get your dog? And he said, oh, I got it through a program called Northwest Battle Buddies. And it's an organization, a nonprofit. Well, it just so happened to be right up the street from my house. No way. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I yeah. I um, asked my mental health doctor. I said, what do you think? You know, because you had to have recommendation letters. They had to have all kinds of things. And yeah. A lot of paperwork. Where you do. Yeah. And Chuck wrote one of them for me. Once you got into the program, then Shannon, the CEO, I'm also a part of the board of directors for Battle Buddies. Now I'm the first veteran That's to be awesome. part of that. Whoa, yep. the fir- Congrats. Thank you. Yes, yeah. So yeah. just to help with that. But they're an awesome organization that does great things for us. They gift us these dogs for no money at all. Really? No. I was going to ask, what is the cost involved? Twenty-five to 30000 a dog. And they've done 200 wow. veterans to date. Whoa. Yep. That is awesome. And so I yeah. went up there, I submitted my package and then they call you when you, the group's ready, right? So Shannon would marry you up with your dog. I didn't pick trigger. So she looks at your background and what you have going on. I was still active duty. And let me just get back one step. I did not know if I should go to get a dog because I was still in the Navy. <laughs> it's not typical to have a service dog. If you're non-deployable, they don't need you anymore. So my commanding officer asked me, he goes, are you sure you want to do this, chief? And I said, absolutely. I'm not going to make it. He supported me. He said, you go do your thing because I was off six weeks. Well, I would go six weeks every day to train with my dog. 
And he, that command supported me like no other. They had my six the entire time. So when I got to that point, I would Do you want go, to shout him out? I'm sorry. Yeah, Commander Balderson. Thank you. Commander Balderson. Yeah. yeah, shout out. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, because I mean, that's, that's big for uh, a big step for anyone. And for you to say, look, this, I need to do this. Yep. I got to do it. And then for him to support you like that. Yep, he yeah, he did. Yeah. Yep, him and my XO. So they, they supported that piece and all my troops, obviously, because they had to step up. So once I got into the program, you go with your dog every day. They take you in situations you don't want to be in, in public. And there's all kinds of things that happen there, right? There's about 10 of us. And trigger is the only trigger. Like there is no other, he is a rescue. He was in a shelter and they actually went and got him oh, and wow. brought him and trained him. And so I will say we saved each other's life, you know. Definitely. So trigger, he was not in the service. That's correct. Okay. Because I know sometimes, you know, service members that have a canine with them. That's correct. Then get to bring them home That's and things right. like that. But he was yes in a shelter. Yes. So you definitely saved your, yes. t- yourselves together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And wow. none of the dogs in the program are prior military dogs. So okay. they're all either bred for well, that purpose yep, yeah. or gifted. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Once I started going through that process, you know, those veterans, we became like this <laughs> friends, like because it was so crazy from Vietnam up until the current war, how much we all were so similar. It was so crazy. And, and, and during that, it was not easy. Like uh, we had people passing out, throwing up because they put us in situations. And I say situations, the mall going in an elevator triggered some people. Tight um, spaces. Exactly. Yeah. It was just depending on the person. Wow. Then mm-hmm. these dogs aren't trained necessarily like, oh, Rebecca's triggers or XYZ. No, they're trained all the same baseline. But it's funny how the dogs really relate to their people. Because yeah. some of the dogs will wake their people up from nightmares. Like Trigger will literally lay between my legs in public and watch my back. Like, wow. that's just he what knows. he does. He yeah. does. He knows. He, yeah, he's watching your six. That's and exactly it. Like, so when we first met, let's throw it back and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll pick up. Yeah. It was at the Lebanon Expo Center. You were there. You had a booth. You had a, a setup because yeah. you have your company, which is Trigger 22. Based off of the name, it's based off of Trigger. That's right. So that's how uh, my wife and I, Courtney... Uh, we were there just, just looking around, just shopping. And when I saw, uh, you know, you being a veteran, I was never in, but I have family and friends, good friends that have served. I was like, we got to support, you know, we got to, we got to buy. I even have the, your wristband is over on my one bottle of whiskey because awesome. the band faded a little bit, but I didn't want to throw it away. I'm like, I got to keep that. And then of course we, we went and bought shirts and, and, and hats and things like that just to support and spread the word because I don't think it's talked about enough. So I think what you're doing is phenomenal. And let's now get into triggered 22 come about yeah retirement's coming and i have to what am i doing after retirement i knew what i was doing i was going to start this company and i was going to help other veterans who were going through what i went through and how difficult it was for me um to start talking about this what i I had no idea when i got my dog and went back to my office what what the reaction was going to be right Mm -hmm. because now i have a vested dog that says i have ptsd So I walk in and people were like, wow, that's freaking awesome. I wish I would have known instead of drinking. I wish half my command then went to mental health because now chiefs don't want it. It's cool. It's okay. Like it's okay not to be okay. And that's the truth. And so, and my dog's with me all the time and he wears his vest with my diagnosis. I don't let it define me, but it's, it's part of who I am and that's okay now, right? That wasn't, but it is. And I've accepted that. When I started Trigger 22, my biggest mission was to let people know it's okay to talk about it. Go get help if you need it. We The, the other premise of my, my business is triggered for my dog, but 22 vets commit suicide every single day. So the 22 is, is bringing awareness to that. And when I tell most people that at our shows that we do, they are shocked. 
So I would love to have the, the merch and stuff. I just so uh, everyone knows too, Trigger 22 is an LLC. I'm not a nonprofit. So just, but wearing our merch gives people like, oh, what does that mean? And then we can talk about it, right? And yes. and I just, <laughs> that's my biggest mission is to let people know to stop surviving and start living your life, whatever that means for you. You know, stop hiding in the, in the house and get out there and try and that you're not alone. You're not. Um, if I can share a story. Please, um, yes. So doing this, um, I have a website. We're on Facebook and all these things. But I put out there some days, you know, if, if you, you want to follow me on there but no i don't post every day but it's not all roses and flowers some days sometimes I, I post my struggles of that day i have received numerous feedback from different things and i'd like to share one of those um a gentleman i served didn't serve with but he was in the air force and i was in the navy um sent me a message he goes i've been meaning to tell you this for a while i wanted to let you know he had a friend from the vietnam vietnam era who sent him these really, really weird texts. And he was like, I'm not sure what these are and stuff. And he goes, I don't know what to do. And he said, I looked down, I saw my Trigger 22 t-shirt and he goes, I'm going to call, I'm going to call the cops to get him checked on. Yeah. And he did. And he yeah. had a knife ready to commit suicide. He had his plan ready to go. They wow. got there on time. They saved him and he's been doing better ever since. That's phenomenal. I don't take that as a kudos to me. What I take that is the merch is making a difference because people are remembering what we're doing and what our mission is. Right, right. Even if you just save one. That's right. You know, that that's, means everything. That's right. It's great what you're doing now. At the events, what do people say? What do, what do they they ask? Um, oh, yeah. I will admit, uh, I think Chuck was there. Or, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Chuck. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was Chuck at the time, but... Um, and again, I just, I, I assumed it was, it was Chuck. I thought he was a serviceman. So what do people say or how do they react when they're like, oh, it's you, it's, it's Rebecca. Oh yeah, they're shocked. Yeah. Every time they always talk to him first and I'm like, it's okay, but it's me. I even have my picture and my story up and my a picture in Iraq, you know, and people are like, that's you. <laughs> yeah, it's me. We clean up well, but um, yeah, I mean, I, good reactions. And I was I kind of skeptical of that too. Doing those shows has been such a change in my own life because People come up there and tell their personal stories. Tears are shed all over those shirts, yeah. and it's very emotional. People also, I want to say, donate to me, right? They'll just say, can I give a donation? I don't necessarily want a shirt. Any donations we receive go into Trigger 22 to get merch and stuff, and here's why. We had a Marine come up to us at the Leesport show. He looked a mess, and he was drinking. He just had a DUI on his motorcycle, and he was in bad Whoa. times. Couldn't afford any of our stuff. And I said, you know what, man? If you wear this sweatshirt and remember what it is, I'd love for you to have it. And we gifted it to him. That's it. We came back to Leesport about six months later. That Marine didn't even recognize him, came up to me and goes, do you remember me? And he was doing great. So it matters. It's making a it's, difference to let people know they're not alone. You're having an impact. It, it is. Yeah. It's super having an impact. And this is just in our small community. But yeah, people are a little bit shocked or don't realize it's it's you that's doing it. But when they do, they're like, oh my gosh. And they love to talk about it. You know, people want to talk about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So I think that's really good. And I'm sure hear your story and it's it's neat to see, see and hear that others in the service are then coming up and sharing their stories with you. Now, how far do you travel and set up, you know, Ford events and things like that? Yeah. So we are doing actually the Lebanon Expo this Saturday. We got into the summer show, okay. so we'll be there. Leesport we do. We've done a, a Mutz and Motors and Stevens uh, Fire Company, mostly local right now. Um, we get invited to different shows throughout, but that's about far as 45 minutes to an hour is what I've gone. But yeah. now we are located in four locations too, like Artisan Mills and Lidditz. We're in there. Okay. The um, Prussian Arcade in Mannheim. 
we rent a space from them, House on Willow in Adamstown, and then we're at a farmhouse, um, far- primitive farmhouse, I believe it's called, or farmhouse primitives in Lancaster. So I rent spaces from all of them because that way, in between shows, our story's still going. What's really interesting about that, just the other week, I had an order from Tacoma, Washington. Well, I was stationed out there, right? I get them from all over. But it was just weird. She said, I was in Lidditz and I saw your story there. And wow. my dad has PTSD, so she ordered for her father. What a small world. Right? Yeah. So it's crazy. Wow. I mean, across the country. Yeah. Impacting someone across the country. Wow. What would you say motivates you day in and day out to be the best version of yourself and also promote Triggered 22? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it started within for me to be the best of me because for the for there for about three years, I wasn't. I wasn't the best of me at all. In fact, I was struggling to, to still be here today. So I don't take that lightly. So every day is is a gift and a blessing. And the fact that I get these reachbacks or we do these shows completely motivates me again to keep fighting on what we're fighting for and for myself not to give up because um, it, it definitely goes through my mind sometimes like I can't, I just can't do this or it's too heavy. And then I'll remember or see their face or I get an email from someone and I'm like, this is what we're fighting for. And I can't quit. How can I quit? You know, yeah, so yeah. it drives me to keep pushing and my heart's in this. Yeah, I mean, this I is a business. It is, but it's not about the money. It's a passion. <laughs> it's a hundred percent a passion. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's my motivation. And you know, there's been times when people couldn't be with me, but triggers with me and trigger keeps me going because I'm like, if I'm not here, what does he do? That he's looking to me for all those right. answers, right? I mean, yeah. that's my dog. That's my battle buddy, you know? So he's another um, motivation for me yeah. to keep pushing. But you can't leave him behind. No. I mean, yeah. you're, you're one of the same, really. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. You did bring Trigger with you. Chuck, you have your sweatshirt, hat, and there's going to be pictures on American Grown Podcast, Facebook, and Instagram. You know, normally I ask the guests, like, the items that you bring with. What are they and kind of what do they mean to you? Yeah. yeah. So I, I brought, obviously, my dog. And what that means to me, obviously, like I said, I mean, a, a service dog, a dog in general, people know what they bring to their life, right? So these dogs that are trained professionally that can go with me everywhere, I'm just going to tell you it saves our lives because there's times when you're not expecting to have a trigger or an episode. It happens. And when you're alone and nobody else is in the car with you, what do you do? That's who I turn to. That's who licks my face until I can smile again or say, I'm okay, buddy. I got it. But he definitely is concerned, right? It's a life-saving tool that Battle Buddies is gifting us and and other other, um, organizations as well. And then I brought um, my my merch just to show what, what we're doing and what it's about. Yep, it's merch, it's sweatshirts, it's hats. But it's the message and, and the mission that we're trying to get behind that. So that's really what we're pushing for. When, when you guys buy the merch or wear it or people say, oh, what does that mean? And you guys tell the story, you're helping spread our mission and, and for other veterans too. And then I brought with me in my bag, I brought my dad's, his wings that he gave me when he was in his parachute wings. Oh, wow. I've had them since boot camp. In boot camp, they make you throw every all your personal items away, and that's the one thing they let me keep. So I've had that from the day I went in through my tour in Iraq, and I brought them with today just to show like that long, like the longevity of that and what that meant to me during my time, you know. And I have a lot of family that is military. My myself, my brother was a Marine, my dad was in the Army, my nephew was Air Force. We were represented well, you know. We love our yeah. country and serving, and so we're I, just trying to keep going, you know. Oh, and I would like to add. AJ, if you're out there, my my brother who's a Marine, um, so proud of you. Took you a long time, but he's getting help and yeah. he's fighting his demons right now. You know, with what he's dealing with, and uh, Chuck and I really have 
kind of not push, but been there for him because it's really easy to give up when you're trying to get help. It's hard, right? And you don't want right. to, but he's been doing really great with that. And I just want to tell him how proud we are of him too. Yeah. Shout out to AJ. Keep going, man. Keep going. So now how can our listeners connect with you, Rebecca, and then follow along on your journey? How can they own some of this awesome merch? And again, yeah. keep spreading awareness. Yep. So if you're local, we are, we do go to different um, locations. I do put that out. It's on my website and um, that's trigger22.com. You can check that out. My merch is on there too. Um, I also have Instagram, which is TriggeredPTSD22, Facebook, which you can look me up at Rebecca Gundrum, or you can do Trigger22 as well. And then I'm on LinkedIn as well. So any of those places, I I post to all three sites when I do post anything. All my new merch, like the sweatshirts and stuff, I oftentimes put them up on there before I get them on the website because that takes me a little time. But just so you can see what's up and coming. But I try to put my shows on the website. So if you're local, you can come to the vendors, you know, and, and get them. If you are local too, um, you can opt to not pay for delivery, but we can deliver it to you and you don't have to pay for postage. Perfect. So before we close out, is there anything else you would like the listeners to know? Yeah, I just want to, you know, give a shout to anyone, veterans specifically, I, I, I can, you know, I relate to you, but anybody, anybody who's going through mental health or, you know, having bad times or depression, anxiety or anything, don't, don't think you're good or don't need help. Go get help if you need to talk to somebody. And I'm always available. I am not a counselor or any means, but if you ever need anything, people have hit me up or just, you know, need to know somebody's there. People are there and people care. If they need to talk to somebody, they can reach out. Yeah. And there is actually on my website, um, a chaplain that reached out to me, she works at LGH, Lancaster General Hospital. She, Her contact is on my website. She is more than willing to talk to anybody who needs it. Well, I'll put your website link in the bio of the podcast. So, you know, this is recorded on uh, June 22nd. And hopefully, you know, we can we can make a difference in some people's lives. And if they're going through it, hopefully they hear this. So, you know, if you're a listener and you have friends, family, share it. You know, share this story, share Rebecca's story, and let's get awareness out there to really impact some people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Rebecca Gundrum, owner of Triggered 22 in the American Grown Podcast in the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, Please direct message or email Austin at AmericanGrownPod at gmail.com.